20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to a Easter Sunday edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. If you start your weeks on Sunday, well, I'm not quite sure what people say is the beginning of the week. I usually use it as Monday, but if you start them on Sunday, it is officially draft week. So Merry Draftsmas week to everybody here involved. I am your host this evening. I am Jacob Westendorf. Zachy Vengeance, Zach Jacobson, is not with me this evening. He is taking his mother out for a little birthday trip, so that is sweet in every way possible. So subbing in tonight is our friend and host of this show occasionally, uh, Paul Brettel. Paul, how's your Easter weekend going? Good. Did some work around the house, but I'm always excited to be here talking Packers football and especially with the draft coming up this Thursday. It's finally almost here. Yeah, no more mock drafts, no more (laughs) what if this happens, what if that happens. It'll be we know what happened. And we can finally talk about how it happened. The only thing, Paul, that I will miss, I'll say this. I know a lot of people this week were talking about, you know, just move the draft up earlier and, you know, do things like the NBA does. And, you know, the NBA, for those of you that don't follow, it's like the finals are in June. The draft is at the end of June. And then free agency is pretty much done by, like, the 4th of July. The only reason I like the way the NFL does their offseason is because their offseason is much longer. So if, for example, the draft has moved up to March – and free agency is basically done around the same time. Now we don't have anything football-wise to talk about for almost six months. That's a really long time. So I actually am a proponent of leave it the same way. I know it sucks waiting this long, but I actually believe that they should leave it alone. I think the NFL's marketing team is one of the best from the standpoint of they have one big event every month. February is the Super Bowl. Obviously, then you have the Combine. Uh, at the end of February, early March, and then free agency starts in March as well, and then you have the draft in April, and then really we're just kind of waiting uh, for you know June to hit when some of these mini camps start, and then you've got July where training camp starts. So I'm for keeping it the way it is. What are, what are your thoughts on that subject, just real quickly before we jump into tonight's topics? Um, just being the impatient person that I am, the <laughs> wait gets long, but I. I completely agree with you. The NFL dominates. It's why football's king. The NFL dominates the calendar. Every month of the year, you know, there is something. There's a Super Bowl. February's the combine. March is free agency. April's the draft, so on and so on. But also, it gives you that buffer between free agency 
and the draft because you know what you do in free agency can affect what you do in the draft and so I think that that is needed so like I said I'm impatient but I do think as far as how it's working and um, keeping it here I think it's in a good spot that's how I've always thought the NBA was kind of ass backwards with how they did those things mm-hmm. like the draft is before free agency not that I mean I guess the thing two don't have to go hand in hand but it's just always interesting to me that they do their selection meeting before they do their free agents because, right. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of things that go on. So, for example, like a few years ago, the Cavs picked Colin Sexton in the top ten, I believe, solely because LeBron James said he liked him and they were trying to convince him maybe to stay, <laughs> even though if you're like me, you thought that the writing was on the wall for almost a year and a half that LeBron was going to the Lakers. So that's beside the point. Uh, we're going to move into tonight real quick. Uh I asked for some questions, and uh, you guys never, ever disappoint. So thank you for that. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun when we get the interaction like that. So the, <laughs> the first question actually came from some dude named Paul Brettel. Uh, this is before I had sounds asked like him. To, guy. Yeah, sounds like a smart guy. Uh, very handsome based on his uh, profile picture here. Um, and it, that must be his wife. She's a lovely lady too, so he oh, outkicked his coverage yes. for sure. Um <laughs> So before, uh, yes. So before I asked you to join the show, you sent this question. So we can actually start here. It says if Green Bay takes Devin Bush at twelve, what are your thoughts? Mine, uh, it's kind of funny because I said you were tugging at my heartstrings from two different ways. I'm a Michigan fan, also a Packers fan. Um, I did say earlier in the week that I felt as if if Green Bay was going to ignore positional value. So to me, a top 15 pick should almost always, not every single time, but almost always be quarterback, offensive tackle, a pass rusher, cornerback. One of those four big positions, the four biggest ones in the NFL. If they're going to ignore positional value, my thought is I would rather them take Devin Bush than I would Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson, name your tight end. Um, that includes even like wide receivers. I, I mean, DK Metcalf has kind of got some smoke going towards Green Bay. I I don't think that there's a receiver. If, in my opinion, if you're picking a receiver in the top 15, he needs to be Julio Jones. Uh, and I don't think any of the receivers in this draft are Julio Jones or anything close to that at this point. So though, my thought on Devin Bush, I've said it since oh, September. He's the best linebacker in this draft. His sideline to sideline speed is phenomenal. He's a very good athlete. He's not too short. Uh, he's like an inch shorter than Devin White. I've often said, you know, I don't even understand what we're doing here because Devin Bush has better instincts on tape. He has better production on tape. And Devin White really is just a big projection. And the projection's nice. This isn't to say I don't like White because I think he's a very good prospect as well. But Devin Bush is better at everything else. Uh, so I don't, I don't understand what we're doing here because he's not too short or anything crazy like that. Um, I would be a little disappointed initially just because he is an off-ball linebacker and it's a top 15 pick, and I hope Green Bay is not picking in the top 15 for the next you know five to seven years as long as Aaron Rodgers is around, and I would like them to get a cornerstone you know, premium position piece. But homerism and the fact that he's a very good player, I would be able to talk myself into that very quickly. And as I'm saying here right now, if they are going to ignore positional value, I would prefer that because I really do think you stick Devin Bush back in that back seven or you know the, the linebacking crew uh, with with the defensive line that they have in front of him, the new pass rushers, and put him next to Blake Martinez. I 
I think that has a chance to make for a special group in the front seven. So, Paul, since you asked the question, uh, let me hear. What are your thoughts? If you know, you hear Devin Bush is the pick at number twelve. Well, I might be a little late to the Devin Bush bandwagon. Um, you know, he had the fantastic combine. I, you know, I was highly impressed with that. Watched him on tape, but like you said, it was just the off-ball linebacker being taken at pick twelve. Um, I was never fully on board with that. Obviously, it matters who's around. But in the last week or so, after watching him even more recently, I'm sold. I mean, if he is taken, I'm not going to be upset. You know, Blake Martinez is incredibly solid, but what Bush can provide is just different. Oren Burks last year to fill a role, but, you know, he's still an unknown um, you know, even at the end of last year, he didn't see a lot of the field, which concerns me a little bit that he wasn't grasping the Mike Pettin scheme. And then outside of those two, I mean, Josh Jones comes down and plays some linebacker, but he's best in the box. Like you said, Bush's range, um, he can blitz really well, you know, take a running back out of the backfield. I would be fine with it. And that, like you said, that front seven with the additions in free agency of the two Smiths, and then you got Devin Bush on the back end there. I think that you know, he's a playmaker, and he would impact this defense right away. Yeah, and I would look forward. The first thing, if they drafted Devin Bush, the first thing I would be drawing up is that old 3-4 cross-dog blitz because Blake Martinez mm-hmm. has been a very good blitzer in his short time as a Packer, and Devin Bush was a phenomenal blitzer at Michigan. He was actually one of their best pass rushers on third down, and he moves well. So that will be interesting. Uh, to see if that if that is the direction that they go. Some of it obviously depends on how the board drops and everything like that. Right. That's going to be the answer to almost any question that we get here. But <laughs> yeah. um, if the board looks a certain way, yeah, I'll be able to talk myself into Devin Bush. The only way I won't, I will say, is if, if they took Devin Bush instead of Ed Oliver or Brian Burns or like a blue-chip defensive right. stud at a premium position. Now, if like... Brian Burns and Oliver and Josh Allen and Nick Bosa and Quinn Williams and all those guys are gone, then yeah, I think that that's going to be a an easy uh, easy way to talk myself into. You'll see my – I know Ross Uglum just published his Packers big board earlier in the week on Cheesehead TV. Uh, Dairyland Express is going to have my version hopefully by <laughs> – well, definitely by Wednesday, but hopefully by the end of the weekend here so you guys can tear me apart for that. So you'll see where Devin Bush falls in line for that. Our next question comes from one of my favorite Twitter names that I've ever seen, and he's asked a couple questions before, and that's Uncle Stavos, uh, and it's Stevo36Z. says, should the Packers take a receiver at 30, 44, 75, or later, if at all? Uh, my answer to that question, I've kind of it's been a, a, a pretty popular theme now. Recently, Ross Uglum has said it, Peter Bukowski, Andy Herman. I don't see the need for the Packers to add a receiver in the fourth round or later. And I also don't believe that the Packers should be letting last year's fourth round or later picks influencing what they do early in the draft. I think that Green Bay should take a receiver. We are one rolled ankle from Devontae Adams away from running out there. Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Equinemius, St. Brown, and Geronimo Allison. There's potential in there, but potential in five bucks gets you a cup of coffee at the local Starbucks. So uh, not much there. I would say 30 and 44 is kind of your sweet spot there. Maybe 75 if there's not a run on receivers. I do think that it's also possible that Green Bay could trade back into the second round and grab one of those receivers that's falling. 
Uh, so if they went, you know, 12 and 30, they go, you know, defensive tackle and tight end, just for example. 44 take their safety, and then they see receivers starting to get run. They could trade 75 in both fours to get back into the second round and take, you know, one of the receivers that's falling, whoever that is. Uh, my personal favorite is A.J. Brown. I think that he kind of fits that inside-outside mold, but I am also starting to become very intrigued on what D.K. Metcalf could do in this offense. Not at 12, but if he's at pick 30, I mean, that is a world-class athlete, and he has good tape, so it's not like he's just some workout warrior. He does have good tape as well. So what are your, what are your thoughts on this, Paul? Should the Packers be looking to add to their receiving core? If so, when, or do you like the younger guys? Um, I, I do like the younger guys, and I do expect to see a big jump from uh, EQ and MBS this year. But there still needs that, that big playmaking ability, and if we get one at pick 30 or 44, which is where if they do take a receiver, I expect them to select one. Um, like you said, A.J. Brown can play in the slot. He can play outside. Marquise Brown is another name as well. I know he's had the foot injury and foot surgery. Excuse me, but Paul, but his name is Hollywood, and he will Hollywood be addressed Brown. as such. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Hollywood Brown, yes. And I would love to see him in this Packers offense. You know, with Matt LaFleur, we're going to see a lot of big plays, you know, big taking big plays down the field with the, off the play-action pass. And Rodgers hasn't had a player like Hollywood before. So I think that that would be really intriguing. And then you look at pick 44, you got guys like Paris Campbell, Debo Samuel, who could go into the slot, kind of replace that cop role. I think any of those guys are great options that could step in and would be impact players right away and wouldn't have the learning curve that we saw last year from uh, more EQ and MBS. So I do think it's a possibility, but like you said, I 100% agree. Once you get past round round three at the latest, I don't see the value in taking another developmental receiver. Yeah, and I will say this, you know, whatever receivers I'm questionable on, like you mentioned Hollywood, I'm not real certain on him. Paris Campbell's another player like that. I also have a rule that if the Packers pick a receiver in the second or third round, he's a stud because those are the rules. Uh, that's history just what. Says so. Yes, that's history says so. Exactly. Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Randall Cobb. I mean, the list goes on and on. So that's the rule. I don't make them. I just enforce them. Our next question comes from Owen Newman, which I will start with. Hello, Newman, and I'm saying it just like Jerry Seinfeld for those of you that are. Seinfeld, God, I just realized there are probably listeners that aren't old enough to remember when Seinfeld was popular. So thank you for that, guys. That's awesome. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, he says Twitter would burn. Well, let's start very simply here, Mr. Newman. Twitter's going to burn regardless of what the Packers do on draft day. Last year, I thought the world was going to burn down. They traded out of their pick. I have like 10 text messages, and one of my most favorite ones was the guy who just sent me a facepalm emoji, and I was like, dude, you don't even know what they traded for yet. Let's calm down turned out to be okay they got jerry alexander it all worked out yes he says what are the options for trading back from 12 if they're able to get a late first and a second from that trade and be in the position to take reisner winovich or a receiver or a safety like thornhill so let's focus on the trade back part i think that's definitely a possibility if there's anything we've learned brian gutekunst in his only first round as a general manager has traded back and traded up in the same first round so I think that that's definitely possible. Here's kind of my take on it, and I talked about this with Owen Reese a few weeks back. Solve your problems with aggression. 
I think that Green Bay should be looking to trade up more than they are to trade back. If you see somebody like Ed Oliver, Quinn and Williams, uh, you know, name your edge rusher. If they really like Josh Allen, if they really like Brian Burns, and they're starting to fall in that range, instead of hoping that one of them gets to you, go get that guy. That's exactly what they did last year with Jair Alexander. Is they moved back. I think they had two players in mind. My uh, reasoning for this is as soon as Derwin James was off the board, Green Bay moved up and picked Jair Alexander. I think they moved back and basically let the board make that decision for them. And they got an offer that they couldn't refuse. But for the sake of the question, yeah, I do think trading back is a definite possibility. Washington needs a quarterback. I think all this quarterback stuff that's coming out of Green Bay is a smokescreen. Um, I think they're trying to get somebody to trade ahead of them whether it's at the end of the first round so they can have another one of those players just to slip a little bit, whether that's Dalton Reisner, Chris Lindstrom, Chase Winovich. It doesn't really matter which one, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody has to feels they have to trade ahead of Green Bay because of some of the stuff they've done with quarterbacks. Um, but from 12 overall, yeah, if, you know, like, for example, if the best player available on the board is a tight end or a, you know, an off-ball linebacker like Devin Bush – I wouldn't be surprised if they moved back a couple slots, still got the guy they wanted, and went from there. Or if even it's one of those guys, say they want to slide back and take like Cleveland Farrell, a pass rusher, or an offensive tackle like Andre Dillard or something like that, and they don't like that value at 12. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, As far as moving from 12 to like 24 where Oakland is or the Texans where they're picking, I don't think I could – well, I mean, obviously they could always move around a little bit more, but I don't know if I would want to get on board with moving that far back just because I want the Packers to secure this top 15 talent. So moving with Washington for their third-round pick, that seems to make sense. It's a popular theory, and that's somewhere I would go. Paul, what do you think the chances are that they're moving down? Um, I see it as a pretty good possibility. You know, you mentioned that if the four, you know, they don't see the value in the players that are there, like a Devin Bush or if there's a tight end available. But also, we always see, regardless of what the quarterback talent actually is, there's always a run on quarterbacks. So there's a possibility they get to pick 12. There could be Brian Burke. Knowing you're still going to get one of those, you know, blue chip players. And two teams that are a possibility, you mentioned the Redskins. Um, they're most likely a little the possibilities, the Panthers at well. I believe they're 16. Um, coming up to get an edge rusher, they lost Julius Peppers um, or an offensive lineman to help protect Cam Newton. You know, if they're looking at Jonah Williams or Andre Dillard or people or players like that. So I do think it's a possibility, and if it happens, I am not going to be surprised in the least. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be for a quarterback. You mentioned a few reasons, like moving out of Atlanta to get an offensive lineman who's falling. That's certainly a possibility. Uh, so that's kind of the fun part of the draft is watching how it plays out. Because right now, you have all these scenarios in your head about how can this guy fall to 12? How, you know, if you're a fan of another team, how can this guy fall to this spot? And then one trade blows up the entire draft, and now yeah. everything's all out of whack. And that's the thing, too. We, we see the mock drafts, you know, all these weeks and months in advance, and there's always trades that happen that just – wipe all that away. <laughs> yep, that's why every year I got a buddy of mine who always says, let's make a bet on you know where where guys go or whatever. And I'm like, dude, one trade ruins the entire order. Yeah. So I can't even guess on like who would pick who just because like, okay, yeah, I pick Ed Oliver to go to Green Bay and now somebody, Atlanta trades up to eight with Detroit and now Ed Oliver's gone. Like, 
Maybe he would have fallen to 12 if Atlanta didn't trade up, but they did. So that's why I don't do those sorts of things. Seth Lail, L-A-I-L, and I apologize if I butchered that, asks, what are my or our ideal picks at 30 and 44? Now, we're talking ideal. So this means perfect world, board breaks perfect, everything's great, okay? That's not going to happen, first of all. That's that's never happened in my in my time as following the draft as closely as I have. I guess the only time I could ever see that the board broke perfectly was when Green Bay picked Aaron Rodgers. And that was kind of, for those of you that have heard the story, just dumb luck. I'm, well, I shouldn't say it like that. But it took some stones from Ted Thompson for sure to make that pick. But they did, I mean... So many teams that needed quarterbacks passed on Rodgers. Some teams, like the Minnesota Vikings, haha, losers, passed on him twice for Erasmus James and Troy Williamson. God bless that franchise in Minnesota for that. But you're asking me for ideal, okay? So ideally, this also includes what did I get at 12? Well, ideally at 12, I got Brian Burns. He's my favorite player in this draft, not named uh, Quinnen Williams and Nick Bosa. That's how I've got him rated. He's number three. On my Packers big board. Surprise, surprise, there you go. I think he's the best edge rusher not named Nick Bosa in this draft as well. So at 30 and 44, man, this is where it gets a little tough. Because if I got Burns at 12, I've often said I'm a Chase Winovich fan account now. But I can't picture Green Bay spending two high draft picks on pass rushers, especially after the signing of the Smith brothers. So if they if they had only signed one of the Smiths, maybe uh, so that's the part where it gets a little difficult for me. But at 30, again, this is ideal, so this may not happen. But at 30, it's Noah Fant. I think he's the best tight end in the draft. He's the highest upside athlete. Some people are telling me that he doesn't fit Matt LaFleur's scheme and offense and blah, blah, blah. I tweeted something out earlier today that I think kind of shares my opinion on that, and that is if great players or prospects, in this case with Fant, don't fit your scheme, uh, get a new one because – I'm sorry, the The best coaches, the best teams, the best players, or excuse me, the best coaches and the best uh, coaching staffs, they fit their scheme to their players, not the other way around. That's what makes Bill Belichick so great is they've gone, I mean, look at it. There was one year they had Randy Moss and Wes Welker, and they spread everybody out. Other years they had Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, and they were playing double tight. This year they were playing double tight and ramming the ball down teams' throats because they were playing so many sub packages. There's no point in pigeonholing yourself to only certain prospects, at least in my opinion, just because of quote-unquote scheme fit. If Matt LaFleur is the coach the Packers think he is, then Matt LaFleur can fit. If Matt LaFleur can't figure out a way to make Noah Fant work, then I don't know. I mean, I don't know why the hell they hired him then, to be honest with you. But that's my ideal pick at 30. With that being said, then, 44 would be best available wide receiver, whether that's Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, DK Metcalf if he slides, Hollywood Brown if he slides, but somebody like that, one of those highly rated uh, receivers, and I really would, I don't mind the idea of Green Bay going defense heavy in this draft, but I really would like to see some reinforcements added to the offense, some high pedigree reinforcements added to the Packers offense as well. So if you want me to give you two names, Noah Fan at 30, and let's say A.J. Brown at 44, and let's just go score 50 points a game. Uh, let those pass rushes you paid for go to work. Paul, 30 and 44, I guess kind of 12 also, because that's going to impact some of your other stuff. But what's your Okay, so what's your ideal first two rounds? Funny we asked this question. I Last week for PackersTalk.com, I actually wrote up on my ideal draft for rounds one and two. So pick 12, I had uh, Ed Oliver. Um, I just – 
what Mike Clinton could do with him, lining him up basically anywhere on the defensive line and the impact that he can make, as well as looking ahead to the future with Mike Daniels, you know, this is a contract year, and who knows it's going to turn out, but be a potential replacement. But I think adding Ed Oliver with Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, and the two Smiths on the edge. Um, <laughs> good luck, that's all I have to say. Yeah. Um, so moving on to pick 30, um, my ideal pick there would be Dalton Risner. Um, I think from what I've noticed in my interaction on Twitter and all that, I think I have more concerns about our offensive line than some do. You know, Lane Taylor had a down year, gave up eight sacks, and we hope he can bounce back, but we don't know that he will. Billy Turner, guy they just brought in, he's still unproven. He's got 25 starts in five years. Bulaga at this point, when he's on the field, he's terrific. But can we count on him for 16 games? Probably not. And he's in the last year of his contract, his replacement, a tackle. You know, that's incredibly a hard position to find, and we don't have that on the roster at this point. So I would love to I would love to see Dalton Risner at pick 30. I'd be very happy with that. Kind of a, you know, little throwback to T.J. Lane, Josh Shitton kind of mentality, play through the whistle. Um, we'll do whatever it takes to keep his quarterback upright. And, you know, with all the moves being made, you know, the additions to the roster, the coaching staff being overhauled. This team goes as far as Aaron Rodgers is going to take us, so keep him upright. Pick 44, um, I still think we need to address tight end, so I think that Irv Smith is um, likely to, you know, to be available at that point. Obviously, I think Hawkinson and are uh, I have them higher up than him, but I just don't think they'll be there at this point. So you get Irv Smith can stretch the field, you know, he can pack the defense at pretty much all three levels, can block as well in that Alabama run-heavy offense. LaFleur will be able to use him all over the formation, which is what he wants to do, and I think he'll be an impact player right away. So Dalton Risner at 30, first Smith Jr. at 44. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the, you know, the offensive line part, finding an offensive tackle to potentially replace Belaga. That certainly could be an option for them. Um, I don't want that at the first pick of the first round just because if everything breaks the way that you want it to, meaning your starting five stays healthy in place. So Bakhtiari, Turner, uh, Lindsley, Taylor, Balaga, maybe you flip the guards, I don't know. I tend to think that Billy Turner might play left guard for the Packers this year, but that remains to be seen. Either way, if everything breaks the same way, you're hoping that the first, the 12th overall pick doesn't play. And I really, really struggle right. with that idea uh, at this point in the year. But we'll see how that goes. Um, so there you go. There's our ideals. We have the next one. It's Jacob Sheridan uh, at Jacob W. So that's really interesting that your middle name's a W because I am also a Jacob W. But um, Jacob W. Sheridan asks, what are the chances of Hawkinson dropping to 30? Well, let me say this. I'm not an NFL GM. Um, and I will also say that when O.J. Howard was a draft prospect a couple years ago, I thought there was no way in hell he got out of the top 10. And he fell to, I believe, 20th overall when the Tampa Bay Bucks picked him. So I'll say this. It's not unfeasible. Um, I think that I can definitely see – this being a guy that Twitter likes, and this isn't to say the NFL won't like Hawkinson because they will, but somebody that Twitter likes a lot more 
than the NFL does in terms of where to pick him. Because, I mean, I've seen some people saying that Hawkinson could be like the fifth overall pick or something like that. I think that's asinine. Uh, Hawkinson is a very good player. He's a very good prospect. My take for Noah Fant has made it seem like I'm not a believer in TJ Hawkinson, and that's not true. However, with the level of athlete that he is, I can definitely see some teams wanting to go with some higher upside players. Then you just have to have a couple teams pick solely for need. It's a possibility. What would I say is the total possibility? Oh, man. Some of it depends on where Noah Fant gets picked as well. So, like, if Fant goes first at, like, nine, that's going to push Hawkinson up the board. Uh, just because some team will probably take him because they feel like they have to. The longer that both of them are on the board, the better chance one of them gets to 30 is what I'll say. So if you ask me for a percentage, I'd say like 20%, uh, maybe even lower than that. But I've been wrong before, and I really don't like to do that. he won't be their guy either. But if I had to guess, that's my percentage. Paul, what do you think? What are the chances of T.J. Hawkinson being available in Green Bay's on the clock? I 100% agree. I as well hate being that he won't be their guy. But I'm going to have to be that guy. He will not be at pick 30. <laughs> um, I, I just don't see it. I, I think he's, you know, on most big boards, he's probably the number one tight end, two at the lowest. Um, I, just, I just don't see him falling that far. If he does, I will personally run the card from Green Bay, Wisconsin to Nashville to hand it to the commissioner. Yeah, I might be right there behind you, too, because I like Hawkinson, too. I think I have him as my 10th-rated prospect or something like that. So, I mean, yes, I do really like him. For those of you guys that have jumped down me the last couple days, I do. Uh, let's see, next one, we got to move a little bit here. Robbie Ash, RJ underscore Hollywood. Fantastic name. Who do you <laughs> This is a fantastic question, considering the date of which we were recording. I will let you guys uh, connect the dots there. What do you think, or who do you think will be this year's Laramie Tunsil, and for whatever reason, drop down the board? So those of you that remember, <laughs> Laramie Tunsil fell down the board because on draft day, somebody, don't know who, I don't know if it was ever figured out who it was, but he sent out a photo of Tunsil smoking a plant-based product uh, with a gas mask on. <laughs> and I'm laughing because the picture's funny. Uh, it, it just was. And I can't believe that that is something that allowed teams to let him drop down the board. I don't know how much of that, I guess, had to do with it, but um, I'm sure it played into some team's thoughts somewhere. Who do I think that'll be? That's a good question uh, because there's so many things we don't know going into the draft. And there's players that slip all the time for reasons we're not 100% sure of. If I had to guess... I'm just guessing. I would say, and I know this is getting some some run here recently, but I would guess Montez Sweat. Uh, there's already reports of him having a potential heart issue that was flagged at the Combine. He's not attending the draft now. And he did have some issues that got him kicked out of Michigan State. And Mark D'Antonio has let people stay on the football team at Michigan State when they've been accused of sexual assault. So in order for him to get kicked off the team, he must have done something really, really awful. I don't know how much worse it gets than that, but that's beside the point. Um, so I'll guess Montez Sweat on that, but it really is a tough question to answer just because I don't have any pictures hanging out in my iPhone of somebody you know, lighting a bong as they're getting ready to go to the draft or something like that. So I don't know. Um, 
Paul, you got anybody in mind there for who could slide for just some reasons we don't know? Um, for reasons we don't know, no, I don't have anyone, and I'm not going to speculate on that. But as far as on the field, someone who I see sliding, uh, Greedy Williams, cornerback LSU. Um, reason being, there's a lot of video or tape of him where he's not getting on the tackles, and oftentimes looks like it's by choice. Um, <laughs> It he's, is. <laughs> fantastic. he's fantastic in man coverage. I think of all the corners in this class, he has the highest ceiling. He can be a lockdown player. There's just a lot of questionable effort plays on his part from what I've seen. And I think that that's I did I just think he's gonna slide and overall it's not a it's not a you know super strong cornerback class, but I think I can see him sliding to the end of the first round. So that's my guy. Fair, fair point there as well. The the by choice on tackles is a very nice way to put that. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got a couple more, and then we'll move forward. We've got Nick. Wow, I got nothing on that, buddy. So we're just gonna go with Nick. Real underscore little underscore G. What's the earliest you think the Packers should take an offensive lineman? The earliest? Their second pick in the first round, wherever that falls. Like I said, their first pick in the first round. I kind of went over that earlier. Um, as somebody you're hoping doesn't play. So I got a really hard time spending your top pick on a player you hope never sees the field in a team that has made very clear they are all in to win. Their free agency actions say as much. So, Paul, what do you think? 12 overall, later than that? I agree. Pick 30. Yeah, pick 30. Okay. D. Bess. Bess D says, do you consider this year extremely critical for King? First of all, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How optimistic am I that he'll play 12 games without shoulder injuries? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, injuries, there's so much luck that goes into it. I mean, there are players. Yeah, bad luck. (laughs) And King has had some bad luck in that case. Um, You know, I get a really hard time bagging on a player for being injured just because the whole conversation that surrounds it, to me, it makes it feel like we're, we're frustrated because it's almost like we're making it seem like King is continuously trying to get hurt. And I don't want to do that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I know that's probably not the, uh, not the answer you were looking for, but the end of this question says, do you think Hollywood Brown is worth the risk with win now mentality? Um, again, my rule from earlier, if the Packers pick a receiver, he's a stud. Uh, so if green Bay picks him, they must, you know, know something that I shouldn't say that we don't, but they must know something about him. And you mentioned it earlier. If I mean, if this guy's ceiling is Deshaun Jackson, we've been asking for Aaron Rodgers to play with Deshaun Jackson almost every year. That he's been a free agent for the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, that would be worth the risk. Again, you know, that 30th overall pick is almost to me kind of like a lottery ticket. It's a pick you didn't expect to have. Feel free to swing for the fences. If you think that means that's Hollywood Brown, go for it. Uh, you mentioned Hollywood earlier, Paul. Is that somebody you think's worth that risk? I do, and, and what you just said about having that 30th pick, it's its bonus, you know. We normally wouldn't have that if it wasn't for what happened last year in the draft. So like you said, the potential, if he is the player that everyone thinks he can be, the connection between him and Rodgers is going to be phenomenal and tough to stop. So, yeah, swing for the fences. At this point, go for the home run. That's that's my mentality at this point. We're in the, we're in the final years, you know, final hand you know, three, four, five years, whatever it ends up being with Rodgers, go for the home run, go for the Super Bowl. And if you think he's that player, take him. 
I agree. Not at 12, though. Not at 12. That's right. <laughs> I just yeah. want that disclaimer in there. <laughs> my guy, my favorite radio show is Shine on Sports. Adam Shine calls it the New Orleans Saints YOLO trade that got the Packers <laughs> next first round pick. So thank you for that, guys. Uh, last one is from Bucky Fan Mike. Oh, this question's dirty. This is taking out the players that you think are most likely gone by 12. Who would then be the best player available? That sounds an awful lot like making me be the he-won't-be-there guy. But I'll give it a shot. Um, if I had to guess today, the top five is becoming a little bit more consensus. That doesn't mean this will happen. But the top five appears to be Kyler Murray, uh, Qu- uh, excuse me, Nick Bosa, Quinn and Williams. The Raiders would then take Josh Allen and then Devin White at five. Yeah. Uh, or some combination of that order. I have seen some buzz for Ed Oliver at three overall to the Jets. But I'm not sure about that yet. So with those five in mind, that just means there's six more picks. So you have in mind, Jawan Taylor, I feel pretty good about going number seven to Jacksonville. I feel like Dwayne Haskins will go before 12, whether that's to the Giants at six or to the Bengals at 11. I think that's a good possibility. The Lions, the Bills are a bit of a wild card, I think. Uh, The Lions seem like a team, a prime candidate for a trade down. And the Bills, I don't know what to make of them. They have, like, the three oldest running backs in the NFL, so I'm not sure what to do with them. Um, with that in mind, I would guess they will have their choice of one of Brian Burns and Montez Sweat and one of the two, uh, both of the Iowa tight ends. I think both of the Iowa tight ends are going to be available at 12. And I think that Devin Bush will be available at 12 as well. So with that in mind, the best player available on my board would be Brian Burns. Um, but again, all it takes is one trade or one, you know, one this or there, and everything's all a little goofy from there. But that is my guess. I don't think if you had me, if you want me to play, he won't be there, guy. Guys, I think for sure won't be there are guys I just mentioned a little bit ago for the top five, and I don't think Ed Oliver is going to be available. I think that. That pipe dream has kind of uh, died out. There's some teams that have finally smartened up and realized he's really freaking good. So, Paul, who do you think is going to be the best player available at 12 overall? I 100% agree with you. Um, I have Montez with behind Ryan Burns. And while I would love to have Ed Oliver there, if it came down to Ed Oliver and Brian Burns at 12, I say take Ed Oliver. I think my prediction, I think he's going to Detroit or Buffalo. So, <laughs> this isn't a good podcast for banter right now at this moment, but I 100% agree with what you said. I think Brian Burns is going to be a top prospect on the board at that point. Man, I really hope Ed Oliver doesn't go to Detroit. Just I don't want that either. That's no, just, if he goes to as Buffalo. I've, as I've been going through it, that's where I have my fall. So I hope not, but... Oh man, there at Buffalo. Those are the two. Right so here. hopefully Buffalo, or even like there's like I said, there's been some buzz for the Jets at three. If the Jets take him at three, at least then it's like, okay, that dream is over. Right. I have like an hour to get over it before Green Bay's on the clock. But I don't want – I mean, you go into the draft, obviously, every year, and you're like, okay, I want the Packers to get you know this guy, whoever my guy is, and then you want your division rivals to get like guys that you don't think are very good. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's what you're rooting for, right? 
Um, the Lions take greedy. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I'll let the Lions take, you know, some. I mean, the Lions, I'm convinced, could turn chicken salad into chicken, you know what. So, <laughs> speaking of greedy Williams, let's move on to the cornerback position. Uh, that is what we were supposed to talk about for tonight, but most of your guys' questions. Listen, I'm here to please the listeners. If you guys got questions, I want to answer them. Uh, and I wanted I wanted to focus primarily on that, if possible. Not only that, but because cornerback, it's kind of debatable on how big of a need you think it is for Green Bay. Me, I don't think. I mean, I'll put it this way: the earliest I would be okay without value smacking somebody in the face, picking a cornerback, is if Green Bay took a cornerback at forty-four. That's the earliest. Um, again, if, you know, like say Greedy Williams or Byron Murphy or, you know, if they really like a corner and he's still available at 30 and that's their best player, okay, I can talk myself into that. But the earliest I would want them to go is 44. And the reason is because I'm still high on the young guys that have played in Green Bay the last two years. We talked a little bit about Kevin King. Yes, it is a make or break year for him. There's no doubt. He This is his third season. He was a second-round pick, so he only has one more year left on his contract, so he has to play. My thing with King is last year when he played, he was really good. If you guys remember that Bears game, he was our best cornerback. The Vikings game, Mike McCarthy said right after the game, quote, we did not handle Kevin King's injury very well. That's true, and it was also a shock to me as to why they had Devon House on the field, but that's beside the point. Um, The young guys... Jair Alexander was very good last year. Uh, You hope he can take a step. Josh Jackson was my favorite cornerback in that draft class. I still think he can play. I'll say this. The Josh Jackson, I've made this joke before too. The Josh Jackson to safety thing is the new move clay to inside linebacker thing. Uh, And it's funny because Josh Jackson has never played safety. And now all of a sudden you've got these people. It became a suggestion from one person. I don't remember who the first person to make the suggestion was. But it's almost become mainstream of, oh, see, Jackson needs to play safety. Now, don't, I mean, take these numbers for what they're worth. Josh Jackson had the same amount of pass breakups as Jair Alexander last year. Didn't have any interceptions, and there were some times when he looked pretty poor. I will also say that I feel like they played him out of position. Playing him as a slot cornerback is asking him yep. to fail. Put him on the, not set up for success. Exactly. So if Green Bay, if they're in an ideal world and everybody's healthy, which <laughs> that's saying something, it would be to me Kevin King on the outside, Josh Jackson on the other boundary, and Jair Alexander as your slot corner. The slot corner is basically a starter in today's NFL anyways, and most teams are looking for that guy. So, And you can kind of interchange your matchups with those corners. That's what I like so much about them. So that's the earliest that I look for them. I also, I mean, Tremont Williams as the guy who essentially de facto cornerback coach, veteran corner, plays a little bit in the dime, stuff like that. Tony Brown has a chance to take a step this year. And I'm sure they'll add a guy. Whether that's, you know, early or late remains to be seen. But, Paul, give me your assessment of the cornerback room as presently constructed. Do you think, because some people really do think, I think it was Tyler Grezegorek said today, he could get on board with a cornerback being picked at 12. He really likes Greedy Williams. That's another thing. But if he really likes Greedy Williams, some people think that Green Bay could pick a cornerback really early because the guy they're really ready to move on from some of the guys that they've had play before. Um, the earliest I can talk myself into it is third round. 
Um, like you said, and the big thing is health with the, the Packers team. I know it's a broad general statement, but I love the guys that we have. I expect Josh Jackson to take a big step, and as we talked about, hopefully he gets you know put more into position for success. Jair Alexander and Kevin King, from what we've seen on the field, they're playmakers. They can be shut down players as long as they're healthy. And Tony Brown, I love Tony Brown. His his effort is never in question. You know, especially in the run game, he's always there to make a play and is a solid tackler, which the secondary needs. Um, so I mean, if those guys stay healthy, you know, in a perfect world, I am very very comfortable with what we have there. Um, and you know, if you obviously want to add some depth in the you know fourth fifth round or so, I'd be fine with that. But I'm not in love with any of the cornerback options in this year's draft where it, where I would reason so taking one at 12, 30, or 44. Also, too, we've added to the pass rush. You know, the Smiths are there. If we get Brian Burns, Ed Oliver, whoever may be at 12 potentially, you know, when they're getting to the, the quarterback, the quarterbacks look better as well. So I expect all of the guys on the team to not have to be in coverage as long as they had been last year. For that reason, I expect more pressure on the quarterback this year. So, like I said, mid-round pick is where I would be okay with just because I'm not in love with anyone, and I do like the guys that we have. Yeah, I like the guys that we have, too. Uh, If they were to add a guy, um, you know, again, like the top guys, uh, the joke that Ross Uglum made on our War Room podcast last week, which I think is really appropriate, is the fast corners aren't good, and the good corners aren't fast and that's basically true because like greedy williams is fast i don't know how good he is byron murphy's good he's not fast like i mean you're asking for a lot there if if i had to pick my favorite corner in the area where green bay would pick it's david long and i don't want to get too michigan happy on this episode here but david long played almost exclusively in man coverage and he had the best passer rating against of any cornerback in fo- college football last year. Um, that I mean, I don't understand. I don't know how that's not like something that would trip your trigger a little bit. And he's somebody that they're going to be able to pick, not in the first round. Like David Long has got some concerns with his size, but he flips his hips. He's solid in man coverage. Uh, he has shown some. They didn't play a lot of zone under Don Brown and their Michigan defense, but. They did play enough to where he was able to show some stuff. So I think David Long is a really good possibility uh, later on in there. Paul, do you have anybody – you mentioned you know the mid-rounders. Is there anybody that comes to mind or anybody that you think that you're like, okay, yeah, that's a good developmental prospect that Green Bay could pick and you know give him a year with Tremont Williams and then you have this young – starting caliber cornerback group with you know that runs four or five deep for years to come i do and it's not to not to upset you but kendall sheffield at the ohio state university all right if you August. ever call it that again i'm never inviting you on a <laughs> podcast with me again first of all it's ohio I state i want the record to show i am a badgers fan i was trying to get it i don't believe you he said the ohio state that is something that only buckeye fans say uh, i promised i'm not bad but i do like kendall sheffield um I think he could contribute early on. He played in their, you know, Ohio State ran the different schemes defensively for their cornerbacks and defensive backs. So he's very well-versed in that. I think he could step in, does well in press coverage. And from what I've seen, he's a receiver magnet. You know, he sticks to him like glue. He's super athletic. He's the type of player that 
Utica's and the Packers have drafted in the past. And a year from now, you know, if Tremont Williams is done, I think he is a player that could step in, having that development for just one season. I don't see him needing, you know, two or three years to get to his to get to his peak. Um, so I think he's someone who could step in. I'm not complimenting a Buckeye, so <laughs> it's not going to happen. I've already said enough nice things about Nick Bosa and Dwayne Haskins throughout this process. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got nothing nothing good to say about Kendall Sheffield then if that's the case. But no, you're right. Uh, as a developmental corner again for one year, this is a guy who you're hoping plays special teams, right? And you know next year is ready to maybe contribute if called upon. I think if there's anything, something else while we're talking about this, if there's anything that we have learned as Packers fans over the last three years, is you can never have enough quality corners. We went into 2016, and you're like, oh, Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, you know, all these guys. Ladarius Gunter was their fourth corner, and he was starting against Julio Jones in the NFC Championship game. The next year, it's like, okay, Kevin King's around, and we've got still Randall and, you know, Rollins and all those guys, and we run a little bit deeper. And all those guys got hurt again, and we're running at the end of the year with guys I've never heard of, quite frankly, playing a little bit of corner. And then the same thing happened last year, even with Alexander uh, got hurt eventually. Josh Jackson was banged up through the year. The last game of the season, they were a little bit healthier, I guess you could say. But Tremont Williams and, um, you know, Jair and Josh Jackson and Tony Brown, and that's the group you're looking for. But, you know, we really are a rolled ankle or two away again from practice squad guys, you know, depth fodder. So you can never have enough quality corners. That's the other thing that would allow me to talk myself into um, a potential cornerback pick, even if it were a little bit higher, uh, and even if some of these guys all pan out. And the likelihood of that is very slim, but if they all pan out and they draft another guy, then you have a really good secondary group that you can kind of interchange with some stuff. Paul, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on, but I have done this on every single podcast as we've gotten closer to the draft. It is 730 on April 20th, 2019, the draft is Thursday night. Last week, I did the same thing to Zach. I said when the Packers, but I'm going to do this for two, so you get the double bonus tonight. All right. When the Packers are done with the first round in a week a week from today, who did they pick with their two first round picks? I'm going to go with Brian Burns and at pick 30 since I'm announcing the pick you can tell I'm stalling I've continued to do that (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to go A.J. Brown A.J. Brown, okay, I will say this I put Paul on the spot he didn't know I was going to do that so (laughs) I did say Last week, I've had the suspicion for a little while that the Packers were going to take T.J. Hawkinson with their first first-round pick. And as of right this moment, I still believe that. Um, I could be wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if they traded down and just picked one of those guys you know, a few picks later. But I still have this suspicion that whether it's at 12 or 15 or you know 17 or whatever, that their first first-round pick is going to be T.J. Hawkinson. I still think that for now. I will give you guys an official prediction <laughs> before Thursday night starts. Pick thirty. I hadn't. I don't have a hunch. I don't. Ha- I mean, 
There's so, so much that can change with the big board at that point. It's exactly. Just a gets. But if you're going to ask me, I'm going to say I would not be surprised at all if Green Bay goes offense heavy in this draft. Um, and with the way that the defensive players may come off the board, if there's not a run on quarterbacks early and there's not a run on quarterbacks late, that starts to not limit, but it takes away some of the players that might otherwise be there if there were other quarterbacks available uh, that teams were picking earlier. So with that in mind, the 30th pick, I'm going to guess Dalton Reisner uh, out of Kansas State, an yes, offensive lineman. That would be, I mean, here's the thing. I would be happy with that first round. Uh, eventually, <laughs> I do have some. I do have some general concerns with picking a tight end at twelve. Again, whether that's Fant or Hawkinson, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I just there's like four tight ends in the league that make a difference to their team. Now, could Hawkinson or Fant become the fifth guy? Absolutely, but I just really struggle to believe that's going to be the case. And I think that there will be another player on the board worthwhile. But eventually, those are both two really good players. I really like Dalton Reisner as well. You mentioned him earlier. Uh, and I, I like Hawkinson as well, and I think that you know pairing him in Matt Lafleur's offense, the whole thing about Hawkinson being a scheme fit, it is true. Uh, he does fit that thing like a glove, and that would definitely help the offense. Reisner gives the Packers immediate depth along the offensive line uh, at both guard spots, probably center, and he can, I think he can play right tackle. I always said think Cody Whitehair, but better. Uh, that's what I feel about. Um, Dalton Reisner at this point in time. So those are my guesses. Go ahead and send them to us. Uh, we are at Jacob Westendorf on Twitter. And Paul, what is your Twitter handle? I don't remember how it goes. Paul underscore Brettle. B-R-E-T-L. That's how you can find him. Paul, tell us where can we find your stuff. You are all over the place and actually my boss for some place. So <laughs> tell them tell him where we can find your stuff. Where where can we find Paul Brettle? Uh, you can find my work at Dairyland Express. We cover Packers, Brewers, Bucks, and Badgers. And you can also find me at PackersTalk.com. PackersTalk.com. That's where I got my start once upon a time. I used to write for them a little bit ago. I've done some stuff with them since, too, obviously. I, Pulse of the Pack, I host that. That's through PackersTalk.com. It's a lot of fun. And I am still, I believe, the newest staff member at Dairyland Express. I could be yes, wrong. I'm still the newest person. Okay, there's some stuff going on, like I mentioned. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on there, not just Packers. If you're a Bucks, Badgers, and Brewers fan, plenty of good stuff there. You can find my stuff there. And then my Twitter handle, at Jacob Westdorf. Thank you guys for your questions. Thank you guys for listening. This will be the last time, I think, that I'm on this show until draft day. So as somebody who loves the draft, I will say enjoy it. It's like Christmas. I actually, the older I've gotten, enjoy this more than Christmas. It's the season of hope. Uh, here's hoping Brian Gutekunst adds some quality players for the Packers. And remember, they can pick good players in all seven rounds, not just the first one. So if they don't pick the guy you want, that doesn't mean they picked a bad player. So thank you guys for listening to this version of the Pack-A-Day podcast. And as always, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! Third and six, trailing 30-23, to 23, two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking, throws left side of the end zone. Here goes, touchdown, Devontae Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16-yard touchdown pass, the Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. 
Bifford on third down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Bifford looking, hit as he throws it, deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the touch. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6-5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side. He's got it, out of bounds inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.